Hey everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. The 2020 Major League season is upon us. It took a while to get here. Obviously a lot has happened, but opening day has finally arrived. Break down the upcoming season, we're joined by Matt Eddy. Matt, we've written about a lot here at Baseball America. This is going to be the most unpredictable season ever between a 60-game schedule where anything can happen, the fact that we're going to be starting with pitchers not fully built up yet, a lot of hitters have not had their normal ramp-up period as well. Roster rules have changed. The very rules of the game have changed in terms of the designated hitter now being in the National League. Extra innings starting with a runner on second. Every year making predictions is a little bit of a fool's errand. But this year in particular, everything feels more fluid than even a normal season. Yeah, and I think you, you hit on the DH and the expanded rosters. I mean, the two things I'm going to be watching are uh, rest days for veteran players given some of the training room restrictions we're seeing this year because of the health protocols. And in addition to that, we have these three 10-team mini-leagues where, you know, I think the book is going to get around a little more quickly than it would when you're playing against 14 other opponents spread across the U.S. So I will be interested to see how, how quickly players adapt to or, or adjust to being adjusted upon themselves. Yeah, no question. A lot of times we see that adjustment period come after a month or two, but with only a 60-game season, if someone's able to stay hot for just those two months before the league adjusts to them, then things can look really, really good if those adjustment periods end up being a lot shorter just because, like you said, there's more familiarity because they're facing the same teams over and over again. You might see slumps hit a little bit earlier. Matt, with that, there are a couple of teams that we think have a chance to be much better than are commonly thought of partially in conjunction with the new rules guiding this 2020 season. Who are the two teams for you that stand out first in the National League and in the American League? Yeah, I think the Diamondbacks are a little better built than they're given credit for. Um, you know, I know they're in the division with the Dodgers, so that makes winning the division um, prohibitive. But uh, I liked the addition of Starling Marte, give them some speed and defense at the top of the lineup. Um, I like adding, you know, Addison Bumgarner a true front of the rotation type of arm. Um, so I think when you start there and then you look at having Kettle Marte and Eduardo Escobar and just, just the job they've done facilitating development for these players at the major league level, you know, Christian Walker, Carson Kelly, they've just gotten better and better. Um, Zach Galen continued to pitch well following the trade. So I think this is a pretty well-rounded team that's better than commonly perceived. So I'm going to one-up you here. The Diamondbacks, to me, are one of the 10 best teams in Major League Baseball. This is not just a, oh, you know, they could be pretty good. This, to me, is one of the most balanced teams in terms of lineup, in terms of rotation. One through nine, everyone's dangerous. They have some really solid bench players, too. Guys like Ildemaro Vargas, Stephen Vogt, Kevin Crone has a lot of power. I love John Jay as an extra outfielder. They're starting nine as one of the best in the National League. They have a really good bench. And, oh, by the way, a rotation of Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, Zach Galen, Luke Weaver – this is a really, really, really good front four of the rotation. Merrill Kelly has been fine. And oh, by the way, they added Hector Rondon in the offseason to help their bullpen with Andrew Chafin, Archie Bradley. We saw Kevin Ginkle and Yon Lopez take steps forward last year. I look at this team. I see very, very few weaknesses. You're right. They're not going to beat the Dodgers because the Dodgers are a behemoth. But if you told me we got to the postseason 
and the Diamondbacks are one of the hottest teams in baseball and a team no one wants to face in the National League, I would completely believe it. I think this is a really, really good team that is going to put a scare into a lot of teams. I think people talk a lot about the NL Central and how tough that is with four potential division winners there. They look at the NL East and see four potential division winners, and I think naturally assume the two wild cards are going to come out of there. But the Diamondbacks, I just keep going back to, I think they're a better team than all but a few teams in both those divisions. You know, again, I see right-left balance. You add Starling Marte, Cole Calhoun, Madison Bumgarner. They have stars. They have depth. I can't emphasize enough how good this Diamondbacks team is and how they're not getting the credit or the love they deserve. And I think this is a dangerous team, both for the regular season and, frankly, the postseason with how they're built. Yeah, I agree. Like anytime you have pitchers who are forced out of the rotation and into the bullpen, just based on depth, I think that's a good thing. And the Diamondbacks have that uh, with Alex Young, uh, Taylor Clark, and John Duplantier. And that is the one thing, if you're going to say, okay, where is the weakness? We've talked a lot about the depth of starting pitching that's likely going to be needed to get through this season just because there's a lot of guys who aren't built up yet. There's going to need to be a lot of multi-inning type of appearances. We don't know if more injuries are going to occur. And that's where you can look and say, okay, if, say, two guys go down, and there are some guys here with injury histories, then it can get a little dicey just because Taylor Clark, Alex Young, Taylor Widener, John Duplantier, these are young pitchers who have not totally established themselves as guys who can take the ball every fifth day in Major League Baseball. Alex Young showed some things last year, but you probably don't want to lean on it for a full season. Clark and Widener just got their brains beat in, frankly, by the Dodgers in two exhibition games. John Duplantier is kind of, we have to wait and see a little bit. So that to me is where there's a weakness. However, the same thing can be said in my mind for all but a few other teams in the National League. I think Diamondbacks have a better lineup and a better rotation and a better bullpen than a lot of those other teams we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. Matt, how about in the American League? Who's a team that you think has a chance to surprise some people that maybe isn't being talked about enough? Yeah, for me, it's probably the Indians. You know, I think we're, we're forgetting about this team a little bit because the Twins were so good last year, and because the White Sox proved themselves so much. But to me, the, um, the Indians are a sneaky um, AL Central winner potential. Uh, I just think they're so strong up the middle. They have two potential Cy Young winners at the top of the rotation, uh, Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger. Uh, they've addressed a lot of the bullpen uh, low wattage issues they had last year. I mean, Fran Mil Reyes, Domingo Santana, good acquisitions. They can platoon effectively at the other off-field spot. Oscar Mercado. I, I just really like the way this team is built. For me, one of the things that really stands out about the Indians and why I do agree that they are a team that could surprise people, again, when we were putting together our season preview, we did put them in third place, but made sure to note, it would not be a surprise if this team won the division uh, for some of the reasons you stated. And the reasons for me, you, you should be higher on the Indians than maybe what happened last season when, oh, by the way, they won 93 games, not like this was a bad team. You're getting full seasons, quote, unquote, from Fran Mo Reyes and Oscar Mercado. Mercado wasn't brought up until later in the year. Reyes was acquired at the deadline. The Indians' outfield was absolutely atrocious to start last year, and it really, really dragged them down. That shouldn't be as much of an issue this year again. Full seasons from Mercado and Reyes. Domingo Santana can hit, has always hit, should continue to hit. And also just full seasons from Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, both of whom missed time last year. I mean, in some ways, when you look at it, the Indians were without Lindor to start the season. They were without Ramirez for a chunk of the season. They did not have a functional major league caliber outfield, at least offensively, for almost half the season. And they still won 93 games. 
those issues are not there anymore. And the other thing you mentioned that even after losing Corey Kluber, this is a good rotation with a lot of potential depth options as well as aces at the top. And the bullpen, I feel like everyone talked about how much of a dumpster fire it was in 2018, and it was. But you go back and look last year, they were one of the top 10 teams in terms of bullpen ERA. They really made some good fixes. I think Nick Whitgren's a very underrated reliever. James Karinchak looks like he could really be something. This is a pretty good team, and I do think that you're right. A lot of people are focused on the Twins, the White Sox are the sleeper team, but I look at the Indians, and, and I don't think it would surprise anyone or it should surprise anyone if we look up at the end of the year, and yeah, they're the team atop the AL Central. Yeah, you heard it here first, Arizona-Cleveland World Series. The other team that I'm looking at is the Cincinnati Reds. Again, we were aggressive picking them up in our season preview up at BaseballAmerica.com. Picked them, finished second. For me, I just really, really like what they've built. This was a team whose offense really underachieved last year. You know, you think about Great American Ballpark, you think about some of the big bats they have, but they were a bottom 10 team in terms of runs scored and almost every other offensive category. I think the additions of Nick Castellanos and Mike Moustakas are going to help that a lot. Shogo Akiyama, when he came over from Japan, was considered, you know, you know, he's solid. He could be a good, you know, okay player. Um, what he showed both in spring training and in summer camp is, hey, he's more than that. This could be a really, really good top-of-the-order table setter type who consistently get on base, gives you good at-bats, and also plays a pretty good defensive center field. I just like the Reds' offense top to bottom. And then the pitching staff. Anytime you can roll out Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer, a sneaky good bullpen. And, and we've seen that since they switched over and brought in Derek Johnson, they're getting the best from the pitchers they have on staff, which was not the case beforehand. Um, again, I think the central is very, very, very winnable. The Cubs pitching gives me some pause. The Cardinals offense gives me some pause. When I look at the Reds, I actually think they might be the team that's most balanced. Although again, a lot of that is going to be dependent on some of those offensive performers who underperformed last year bouncing back, you know, Joey Votto finding the fountain of youth, you know, Nick Senzel and Jesse Winker staying healthy. There are some wild cards here, but I think this is a really good team. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%, you know, for the reasons you stated. The pitching staff was, I think, very quietly one of the best in baseball last year. I don't think people realize that. Um, top 10 in ERA and most categories pitching-wise. This was a top yeah, 10 staff pitching in Great American Ballpark. Exactly. And then Nick Castellanos, I know fantasy players are really excited about what he can do in that park. Um, and I agree. And I think Akiyama is probably has a lot of impact potential here just to set the table for some of these mashers because they have, you know, I mean, on-base skills aren't the strongest with, for some of these guys, but Akiyama, I think, is going to be really key for that lineup. No question about it. In the American League, I think there are fewer sleepers, but I'm all on the White Sox bandwagon. Um, I think this is going to be one of the best offenses in Major League Baseball. You look at the offseason additions. You look at the strides forward from young players like Yohan Moncada and Tim Anderson, Eloy Jimenez. And again, bringing Gio Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel were, were two sneakily nice veteran additions to stick, to stick behind Lucas Giolito. There's some really good arms in that bullpen. It really is going to come down to if Ronaldo Lopez and Dylan Cease take steps forward. Even if they're just better they don't have to be great even if they're just better I think this offense is going to score enough runs and this bullpen will keep a lid on things enough I think this is a wild card contender I actually before the season went ahead and slotted them into a wild card spot in my preseason picks I'm going to stick with that I think they have a chance 
to surprise a lot of people. You know, I remember the Braves before the 2018 season, I was looking at that lineup. I'm like, hey guys, this this is a good team. I think they're ready to strike. I picked them to win a wild card that year. They actually outdid that and won the division. I just see a lot of parallels to the White Sox here. Uh, I think they're ready. I think they're they're in the right division to do it. And again, 60 game season, anything's possible. Yeah, what I would watch here is how effectively Yasmani Grandel can help those young pitchers you cited, um, Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez, um, could stand to benefit from a, a pitch framer and leader like Grandal. And again, the starting pitching depth, you have to wonder if it's going to be enough. If those two guys at the back end don't take a step forward, okay, well, Michael Kopech is out. Carlos Rodon is coming back off of Tommy John surgery. You never know how that's going to go. So again, there's some rotation depth issues that give you a little bit of pause. But the same thing can be said for a lot of other teams. And, and again, I think this is a really, really good team. But going down division by division, Matt, the AL East to me was one of the more interesting divisions to try and sketch out. I honestly, looking at just the way the rosters are constructed, taking into account a 60-game season, my gut is telling me the Rays are going to win the division. Now, again, in our preseason preview, I played it safe. I deferred to the defending champion. The Yankees are a great team that has a lot of great depth, particularly on the position player and bullpen sides. The Rays' ability to just roll out quality starting pitcher and quality reliever over and over and over again and shuffle guys in and out with no drop-off, I think has them uniquely positioned to succeed in a season like this where you're going to need a lot of pitchers to get through the season, whether that's guys giving you multiple innings in relief to start the year, whether it's cycling guys in and out, depending on injuries and illness. I think the Rays are a really, really good team playing a very, very weak schedule, one of the weakest in Major League Baseball, with the talent to contend with some of the top teams in the American League. Again, I picked the Yankees. Again, my gut's actually telling me the Rays are going to win this division. Mm, yeah, the Rays do have a great team. Um, for me, I, I'd stick with the Yankees. I think their lineup is just that much better. And then you factor in uh, front two of, of Garrett Cole, uh, James Paxton, and uh, Masahiro Tanaka when he's healthy. And, I, and, you know, I really like the upside potential of Jordan Montgomery, especially now that he only has to navigate 60 games in his return from TJ rather than 162. So I, I'm pretty bullish on the Yankees, um, I would, and I would pick them over the Rays. And again, I ended up picking the Yankees over them in the division title race. My preseason prediction was Dodgers-Yankees World Series. I have a hard time getting off of that for a lot of the reasons you cited. I think for me, one of the things I'm concerned about, and we've seen the Yankees overcome injuries no problem, and that's something you definitely see and feel very, very good about with them. But the pitching has me a little bit concerned just when you take into account James Paxton is coming off of back surgery. Backs are very, very tricky. Luis Severino's missing the year after having Tommy John surgery. Masahiro Tanaka now is dealing with a concussion after taking a very scary line drive off the face. Domingo Herman is going to miss the season because he's suspended. Things can thin out pretty quickly. Again, getting Jordan Montgomery back is huge. They have some really good young pitching prospects and Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt awaiting at the alternate training camp site. You know, Michael King, who a lot of people forgot about, had a really good year a few years ago. He's going to be on the opening day roster. So they have some bodies. I just see a lot of their front line starting pitching. There's some question marks there. Jay Happ has to have a bounce back year. 
But you're right. I think they're going to score more than enough runs. They have a bullpen that can pick up some of the slack for some of those potential lost innings from the starting rotation. Guys like Luis Sessa and Jonathan Loisiga have started in the past. I do think they'll be okay. And I think this is going to be a good team. Again, I just I, I think the Rays' ability to bring in so many new arms is going to give them an edge. But again, the Yankees are our official pick to win the division. I'm comfortable with that. The Rays are just kind of a, a, a gut sleeper pick I like a little bit. Yeah, and it's easy to see why. I mean, especially if you only have to keep Glasnow healthy for you know 60 games. I think that really benef- could benefit the Rays quite a bit. Deeper down the division, I really do think the Blue Jays are going to be the third place team over the Red Sox by a fair margin. The Red Sox starting pitching, when you look at it, it's really shocking. It just goes to show, I think, when you have a great team, an all-time great team, enjoy it while you have it. The Red Sox in 2018 were one of the best teams of the last 20 years, really since the 1998 Yankees. They steamrolled everyone, and it was really something special to watch. Fast forward two years, and they have what is one of the worst starting pitching rotations, not just in the American League, but in Major League Baseball. It was actually kind of shocking. Once Eduardo Rodriguez went down with coronavirus, and again, we hope he is healthy and is able to recover for reasons beyond just baseball. In terms of what it means for the Red Sox, losing their ace, if you will, the fact Chris Sale's down after having Tommy John surgery. They traded David Price, who ultimately opted out. None of their projected starting pitchers had an ERA under five last year. Only one made more than 12 starts. This is going to get ugly. The Red Sox are going to have to win games 10-7, 12-8. Now, they might be able to do it. When you look at this lineup fronted by Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and, and Andrew Benatendi, if he can take a step forward, Christian Vasquez had a good year quietly last year at the plate. Alex Verdugo has done some good things when he's been healthy. Mitch Moreland's an effective veteran. They have the bats to score. But when you tell me that this staff is going to have to go face the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, the Nationals, I think this is going to get really, really ugly. Yeah, I agree with you. That's for all the reasons you cited. It's kind of in their DNA. You know, the Red Sox, at least in the 21st century, have built up to this really, really high peak. Then the Valleys have been really steep, including two last place finishes in the 2010s. So Red Sox fans, just throw on the 2018 World Series championship DVD. Enjoy that. Um, you know, watch some of the hitters continue to mash because I think this is going to be a, a rough year. And to me, that made it easy to pick the Blue Jays for third place. Honestly, when I compared the rosters, compared the overall caliber of the players, uh, to me, it was a slam dunk. Again, Yankees Rays, I battled back and forth a little bit. Blue Jays for third place was a no-brainer to me. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the loss of David Price and uncertainty of Eduardo Rodriguez as much as anything. Is that fair? Oh, no question. Again, if, if you have those guys, it's an entirely different calculation. Um, obviously, we hope Eduardo Rodriguez can get healthy for reasons beyond baseball. And, um, you know, the Red Sox will just have to try and ride this one out. Moving into the Central, this was another division that I, I thought was difficult to pick. When you look at the Indians, the Twins, and again, we talked about the White Sox as a sleeper. Ultimately, we went with the Twins. You look at a team that won 100-plus games last year, added Josh Donaldson. But I actually think the most important addition they made was Kenta Maeda. 
Um, there were some real, real serious concerns about what the back of this rotation would look like beyond Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi. You know, Kenta Maeda has been solid. He's been consistent. He's pitched in the rotation and out of the bullpen for the Dodgers. A team like the Twins, he's a full-blown starter, no questions asked. He's just solid all the way around. And I think that's something the Twins very, very desperately needed, especially when you look at they're going to be relying on Homer Bailey and Rich Hill, who have very scary injuries to the back of their rotation. And Randy Dobnak and Devin Smeltzer had, you know, nice debuts last year, but they also have 11 career starts combined. Yeah, I'm the most bullish. I agree with you. I like Maeda for them quite a bit, but I'm probably more bullish on Hill if he can stay healthy. Um, if you look at his track record in the postseason for the Dodgers, it's a lot better than you're probably thinking. And I think he, he brings that sort of savvy um, to the Twins who are trying to get over the hump in the playoffs. He's got that perfect high-spin fastball high spin breaking ball low that, that teams are going for. And I think he's going to be kind of a hidden hero for this team. Rich Hill is still a very good pitcher. There is no question about that. You look at what he did last year, even in just his 13 starts, he was very, very effective. The concern is the health. He's 40 years old. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. It's just been a difficult road for him in that regard. But you're absolutely right that if he can stay healthy, this could be a very, very important addition for the Twins. I think the main question I have for you, Matt, is do you think the Twins are a full head and shoulders above the Indians and to a degree the White Sox in the division, or is it close? And the second question I have is, is there enough here for them to finally get out of the first round of the postseason? Um, I think it's fairly close. I would not say head and shoulders. I think um, – this division is very compressed, and then you throw in playing 60 games. I think it's possible any of the three teams could win the division. Um, and your second question, uh, second question, I do think Maeda and Hill give them a lot of uh, what they're looking for in the playoffs. I mean, if they, if they can only go through the lineup twice, that should be fine because the Twins' bullpen is strong. Um, you can kind of play matchup, even beginning in the fifth inning, and I think that is the way they can potentially win a playoff series. A lot of it's going to depend on who they face, but you're right. I look at a, a really good lineup, one through nine. If you can start with Barrios and Odorizzi and give you a leg up. I do like the Twins' chances to potentially get out of the first round of the playoffs. White Sox and Indians, we've talked about both. Two teams we feel are sleepers. The Royals and Tigers, we talk so much about a 60-game season. Anything can happen. And I guess this applies to the Orioles as well. Do you see any scenario where either of these teams surprise us a little bit and finish better than fourth and fifth place? I do not. I think, I think what you're watching here is just how the young players develop. You know, the Tigers have an interesting young rotation, potentially, if they call their guys up. And the Royals, you know, they have a lot of young players who could take steps forward, but I don't think they're anywhere near complete enough to actually compete. The Royals interest me a little bit. Not enough for me to pick them to do anything in the division. But you look at Whit Merrifield, you look at Jorge Soler. Um, Hunter Dozier had a great season last year. Uh, they announced today that he's tested positive for COVID-19 and will be on the injured list. Obviously, we wish him all the best and hope he can get healthy for reasons beyond baseball. But look at Merrifield, you look at Soler, if Salvador Perez comes back healthy, Alberto Montes and Franchi Cordero are two very talented players who just trying to find some consistency at the plate. I actually think there's an interesting group of position players here that can make them a little more competitive than a lot of people think. The pitching staff is still a mess. As a whole, they posted a 5.20 ERA last year, fourth worst in Major League Baseball. 
But Danny Duffy and Mike Montgomery are still around. If you know Brady Singer can come up and, and have a good rookie year, we saw Ian Kennedy do some nice things with a move to the bullpen last year. Again, I'm not going to pick the Royals to finish top three in this division, but I think there's enough interesting pieces here that I can see an avenue to them being more respectable. I'm not sure I'm there with you, but um. <laughs> well, so again, if they go 20 and 40, I absolutely can see how that would happen as well. Montesi and Cordero never find that consistency. The loss of Dozier weighs them down and the pitching doesn't take any steps forward. I think that's absolutely a possibility and probably the more likely scenario. I just, they interest me enough to, you know, potentially see something moving into the AL West. So we talked a little bit about picking the Yankees over the Rays. There's a little bit of discussion there for who would be the division winner. The Central as well, between the Indians, the Twins, and the sleeper team being the White Sox. A little bit of discussion about, okay, who's going to be the division winner there as well. I got to be honest, going through the AL West, picking the A's over the Astros to win the division was a slam dunk for me. I didn't think twice about it, and here's why. It has nothing to do with the Astros trash banging. It has nothing to do with the sign-stealing scandal. I think they have one of the best offenses in baseball, and I love Dusty Baker being the hire there. I think that was the perfect hire for this team, what they need. He knows what to do. He knows how to run a clubhouse and keep it steady. He's still a good manager, and everywhere he's been, he's won in the regular season. The Astros pitching is scary. Garrett Cole and Wade Miley are gone. Justin Verlander had groin surgery. We have to see how he comes back. Lance McCullers is coming off Tommy John's surgery. He's looked good in exhibitions, but again, we have to see how he comes back. Jose Urquidy's placed on the 10-day DL. Brad Peacock, who was quietly a solid swingman for them last year, just went on the aisle with a shoulder injury. They have Zach Greinke and a whole lot of question marks. And oh, by the way, their bullpen is now going to move out Roberto Osuna and Austin Pruitt to start the year. Joe Smith is on the restricted list, and they lost Will Harris, who very quietly was a key part of their bullpen for years. We talked about the Red Sox having to win some games, 10-7, 11-8. The Astros, it's not quite the same degree because, again, if Verlander shows he's fully back from his groin surgery and the colors is able to be fully back from his Tommy John surgery, you still have a pretty good top three. But even if that happens, two out of five days, they're likely going to be starting the worst of the two starters on the mound. They're going to be at a disadvantage from the get-go two out of every five days when you look at the pitching staffs, the A's, the Angels, even the Rangers can roll out as well as in the NL West where they're going to be playing the Dodgers the Padres even, the Diamondbacks. The Astros are not going to have the better starting pitcher on the mound at least two out of every five days. And if Verlander and McCullers have any kind of injury setbacks, it's going to be more than that. I think they're still going to be in wildcard contention because I trust this offense, because I trust Dusty Baker. But this has the potential to implode. Yeah, I, I understand your pessimism for the bullpen. And I think that could ultimately be the undoing here. Um, not having access to Osuna early on, not having Joe Smith probably for the entire season could have a big impact because they have some starters with stuff. I mean, McCullers and Josh James and Frambra Valdez um, and Jose Rokiti when he comes back. I mean, these guys have stuff. I just don't know if they have endurance. So I think that's where, um, you know, they might, the Astros might be losing some games in the middle innings because they just don't have enough bullpen arms. So for me, I'm more optimistic about the rotation, at least the upside potential but I completely agree the bullpen could be the undoing. And again, if Verlander and McCullers come back healthy, this becomes less of an issue. But you mentioned Valdez and James. They have stuff. They have not shown an ability to throw consistent strikes at all. 
Jose Urquidy again, if he comes back with McCullers and Verlander, this changes. Just but given what we know today, given the health status of all these guys, and even if it takes them a week or two to really round into form, well, the issue we then have is a week or two now is a huge, huge difference between the ability to contend or not. Again, I still think they're going to contend. I started with the bad. To make the point that the A's, even with A.J. Puck going on the aisle with a shoulder strain, even with Jesus Lazardo having to build back up, they have guys who can backfill. They have Daniel Magden. They have Chris Bassett. They have a really good lineup one to nine. You still have Frankie Montas and Sean Manaya at the top. Mike Fires is a really, really solid pitcher. I just see, again, the A's have the ability, in my mind, a better ability to backfill their worst-case scenario pitching injuries than the Astros do. And to me, that made the A's, frankly, kind of a slam dunk pick. And the A's have a much better bullpen as well. The A's, to me, were a slam dunk pick to win the AOS. Yeah, I agree. The A's have a very, very good team. This lineup is is really good. I mean, it's kind of muted by their home park. But this, this team is for real. I, I completely agree with you. The Angels and Rangers are two teams that have had really, really good stretches. In recent memory, the Angels dominated the division in the 2000s. The Rangers opened the decade with back-to-back World Series appearances. And the Rangers were also in the postseason as recently as 2016. Um, But it's been a lean couple years for both of these teams. They were sub-500 clubs last year. Both made a lot of substantial improvements to their pitching staffs. How competitive do you think these teams can be? Because both these fan bases are, are hoping these teams can return to the postseason form they showed uh, a couple years ago. I think they both have 500 upside. I think they're good teams. Um, the Angels perhaps a little bit better. Uh, you know, just so much hinges on the, the rotation health for the Angels. You know, I don't, as much as I like Griffin Canning and Shohei Otani, you know, they have to kind of, and, and Andrew Haney. I mean, just every single one of their potential frontline guys also comes with equal measure um, injury concern. Um, but the offense looks to be uh, significantly better with the return of Otani as DH and Vendone. I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, and the Rangers, I, I, I'm fascinated by the rotation gambit, you know, cause you take out the worst, you know, 90 starts last year and replace those guys with even league average starters, which I think they have acquired at the very least in Corey Gluber, Kyle Gibson and Jordan Miles. You, you just slot those three guys in, you're, you're saving at least 100 runs over 162 games um, and potentially more. So I think the impact to that team is going to be huge. And I'm also curious to see how that new park plays. So the Rangers, I think, could, could, be, could be sneakily better than we think. Yeah, I, there's no question. I think each of these teams, you can carve out a path to them being competitive and potentially being a postseason team. Again, all I have to do is go 32 and 28 and you're probably in wildcard contention. You know, the angels, you talked a little bit about this with Tyler Glasnow and some other pitchers. The fact that Shohei Otani, Andrew Heaney and Griffin Canning only have to make 10 to 12 starts as opposed to 30, I think is huge in the angels favor, given all three of them have had elbow issues within the past year or so. And the Rangers, like you said, I really like what they did with the pitching staff. They really bolted up. My concern is the offense. Um, This was one of the worst offenses in Major League Baseball last year, despite the fact they were playing in a very hitter-friendly park, and they made it worse by trading away Nomar Mazzara and only bringing in Todd Frazier. Now, again, some steps forward from guys like Nick Solak, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa has looked really good in camp, a full season from Joey Gallo. All these things could make the offense better. Um, I just don't know 
if they're going to score enough runs, especially not knowing how much this new park is going to play. But again, the pitching they've acquired, they might be able to win some games, three to two, four to three. I think there is a path for each of these teams. Yeah, I think that's fair. Anything's possible in 60 games. The Mariners, similar to the Orioles, similar to the Tigers, rebuilding team. Just look for the young guys to take some strides forward. I will say super, super sleeper rookie of the year candidate, Kyle Lewis. He's gotten healthy. He came up last year, showed what he can do. I think that's going to be one of the interesting things to watch to see if the Mariners can get some steps forward. And again, maybe Kyle Lewis emerges as that sleeper rookie of the year type that we see emerge every single year. I think that's fair. I mean, Kyle Lewis, yeah, he has a chance to hit a pretty gaudy home run total. That's going to capture attention. All right, Matt. So we've run through the entire American League. Who's your pick to represent the AL in the World Series? Uh, as boring as it is, it would be the Yankees. <laughs> How about you? To me, it's the Yankees of the Rays. Again, I pit the Yankees before the season. I went with them to win the division, even though I, I have a lot of things in my gut telling me the Rays are just really well built for this type of season. I got to stick with it. The Yankees, I think it will be a Yankees-Rays ALCS. So if it's not the Yankees, I do think it will be the Rays. Okay. No love for the athletics? I think they're a really, really good team. It would not shock me to see them in an ALCS. When I look at them versus the Yankees, for example. I like the Yankees' offense and position player depth a little bit better. And again, they have some starting pitching depth to potentially make up for some things if Paxton Tanaka can't quite come back to full form. But again, I'm betting on that they will. You know, the Rays, again, I think just the way they're built with their pitching, I think just makes them really, really uniquely well-suited to everything this year. But their offense is a bit of a question mark. This was a middle-of-the-pack offense last year that got rid of Tommy Pham and Avicel Garcia, two of the most dangerous hitters, and replaced them with a lot of guys who have some warts and are going to be very platoon-heavy in some cases. And, and a lot depends on Austin Meadows coming back healthy as well, another very good player who's tested positive for COVID-19. So... I think the A's will be in it. It will not shock me if they are able to overcome the Yankees and Rays and get to the World Series. I just wouldn't pick it to happen. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think I would throw the Indians in too, just my own personal bias. But I think think the Yankees are the clear favorite. Yeah, no, you cannot discount the Indians when you look at that rotation and some of those guys in the lineup that they should have for a full slate this year. Now, moving into the National League, of all the divisions, the National League East to me was, I think, the most difficult to predict. I went through stages where I had the Nationals in first place, the Braves in first place, and even the Mets in first place. The Mets are one of those sleeper teams I didn't mention at the top of our show that I think has a chance to be really, really, really good. Ultimately, deferred to the defending champions. The Nationals lost Ryan Zimmerman and Anthony Rendon. Rendon to free agencies. Zimmerman opted out. Two franchise icons, not easily replaceable, their production and their leadership. At the same time, you have still an incredible top three at the rotation. And oh, by the way, Anibal Sanchez, who's still very good, is your fourth starter. And I thought they did a really nice job keeping a lot of guys who were quietly productive for them last year in the lineup. They brought in some good players who can contribute as well. Eric Thames, Starling Castro. I think when I just look at all the teams, this is the team that struck me as being the most complete. And that, to me, is why I think ultimately they will win this division. Yeah, the Nationals are the pick for me. I think it's just the certainty of the rotation. And you can get 60% of your starts from Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, and Patrick Corbin. I think you're, you're in a great position to win 
to win out over 60 games. And I think the October uh, hangover effect is muted now. I think you know, Strasburg is less subject to innings volatility. Uh, same goes for Corbin, who's never pitched that late into a season. And same for Scherzer, who was you know, 35 or 36 and showed some, some injury, some wear and tear late last season. So I think just that stability um, gives, Nationals, gives the Nationals the advantage. The one downside being the bullpen, which was weak last year. You know, they showed up in October and they won it all. But I would still not call this a strong bullpen. Um, adding Will Harris helps. But overall, they were pretty historically bad last year. And I think that's still kind of a team weakness. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you feel good about Daniel Hudson, Sean Doolittle, and Will Harris. But, you know, they're going to be relying on their stars to go seven innings to get to them so that they're not having to go to some of these, you know, fifth, sixth inning types. Again, part of the reason they were able to get through the postseason is they were able to use Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin in relief. Remember, Corbin had a fantastic, fantastic showing out of the bullpen in Game 7 last year of the World Series that was quietly one of the big things that helped the Nationals win the World Series. You're right. There are warts on this team. That bullpen has been an issue. It could continue to be an issue. But as we'll talk about with the Braves and the Mets... I think of all the teams that have warts, that's the one where, you know, again, I feel the most kind of okay about. Matt, the Mets and the Braves are two teams for me that, again, I thought had a chance to contend in this division. I think the Mets offense is going to be truly, truly explosive. You add Yohan Cespedes back. They have a lot of guys who can mash. The rotation did take a hit. Noah Syndergaard going down, Tommy John surgery, Zach Wheeler leaving in free agency. We still have Jacob DeGrom and Marcus Stroman at the front. You know, Steven Matz, Michael Waka, and Rick Porcello have all done good things in the past. There's some question marks, but they are established in terms of their careers. And, you know, pitching in City Field should help, especially in the cases of Porcello and Waka potentially improve over last year. How competitive do you think the Mets can really be? And to me, I mean, the key is if Edwin Diaz and Drew Samilia can get back to form, all of a sudden, I think this is a really dangerous team. Yeah, I agree. I think they could win the division if everything breaks their way. That lineup is is deep. I mean, it's a legitimate one to nine lineup, which is rare in the National League. Um, and they even have Dominic Smith on the bench in the projected opening day lineup. So that speaks to the depth they have. Um, losing Zach Wheeler hurts. You know, I think that's that's a big factor for them, especially because that value transfers directly to a division rival. Um, I think that's a kind of a double blow. Um, the Grom, Cy Young candidate, as always. But this really hinges on how quickly and how effectively Parcello and Waka can pitch. Because I think that's, those are probably the two most important players on the team. Because the rotation depth behind them is not good. One team that does not have rotation depth problems, but the concern I think goes the other way is the Braves. You look at the rotation depth, they can roll out so many guys. We've seen it over the years. Mike Soroka and Max Free took big steps forward last year. You have Mike Fultonevich, and you've got guys like Sean Newcomb, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson. They brought in Jolie's Chessim. Josh Tomlin is still around. I mean, they have guys they can roll out at you. What surprised me about the Braves is how weak, potentially, the bottom half of their lineup might be. However, they did just sign Matt Adams, so maybe that helps give them another uh, left-handed bat who can help as a DH. But Johan Camargo, Ender Inciarte, Dansby Swanson, all these guys struggled to hit a good bit last year. Austin Riley got off to a hot start, fell back to earth a little bit. 
play. I think the concern for me would just be, okay, you know the top four is going to be fine with Acuna and Albies and Freeman and Ozuna, assuming, of course, Freddie Freeman's able to return to full health sooner rather than later. We're all very, very happy he's safe and healthy and back on the field. I do wonder how many runs the Braves are going to score this year because anytime I see a team that has three or four guys at the bottom of their lineup that are potentially going to struggle, that's always a bit of a red flag to me. 100%. I think this is a team built for 162 games. Um, but, you know, some of these young pitchers might require some time to find their footing. You know, Sean Newcomb, Kyle Wright, the other um, depth options you mentioned. Um, you can't really afford to to have, like, trials and tribulations early. you got to start hot when you're only playing 60 games. So that, to me, would be the concern for the Braves along with their um, bottom of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I love the off-season addition of Cole Hamels, uh, but he's out with triceps tendonitis. Will Smith is on the 10-day IL. Tuki Toussaint is on the 10-day IL. Phil Pfeiffer is on the IL. Jacob Webb is on the IL. We've already seen a lot of pitchers go on the injured list for various reasons. Concerns me a little bit, but I think, again, they have a really good bullpen still. They have a good rotation. I'm just going to be curious to see how many runs they're going to score. Fourth team in all of this is the Phillies, who... Again, I wrote this in our preseason preview. It would not surprise me if they not only made the postseason. Again, I think the Nationals are kind of at the top of the division. I think the Mets and Braves are contenders for the division title. I see the Phillies more as a wild card contender. But I do think they have a chance to win this division. I would not count them out. And the biggest reason why is I think anyone who's listened to me on these podcasts for years knows my biggest thing is it's management's job to put players in the best position to succeed. Sometimes you do that and you just get beat. That happens. That's sports. But when you're not putting players in the right positions on the field, you're putting them in different lineup spots that they're not really comfortable with. You're using players to pinch run who shouldn't be used to pinch run. You're not using pitchers effectively or managing the bullpen well. All those things just are such a drag on a team's overall performance. And that has afflicted the Phillies negatively the last few years. I think bringing Joe Girardi is going to put a stop to a lot of that. He's a veteran manager. He understands what it takes to win. And I think that because of that, we're going to see an uptick in performance from a lot of the Phillies players who, frankly, are big names but have underperformed the last couple of years. Yeah, I agree. Like Even, even with the star power they have with Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto leading the way, like this was a pretty poor offense last year. So that concerns me. You know, Having McCutcheon for a full year will help. Adding Gregorius will help. I mean, that's, a, that's another friendly home run park for him. Um, and, I, and I like the stability of the defense there. Adding him at shortstop is going to help the pitchers. It's going to help them stay competitive. But, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot of questions here. Bottom of the lineup, bottom of the rotation. You know, it, things could break right, and they could, they could be a, a wild card team. But um, I don't know. I don't know if I would forecast that. Again, I, I agree, and that we didn't. We picked them to finish fourth place in the division as they did last year, but I, I do think they will be more competitive this year, adding Didi Gregorius, adding Zach Wheeler. They upgraded both the rotation and the lineup. I think the managerial upgrade, we're going to see an uptick in performance from a lot of players on both sides of the ball because of that. I think they'll be more competitive, and, and that's the biggest step forward there. And then, of course, we have the Marlins in last place. We'll see what they're able to do. The NL Central was also tricky to pick because, again, you have a lot of potential contenders, four teams with realistic shots. We talked about the Reds already. Cardinals and Cubs, two teams that have been recent division champions. How do you assess those two teams and whether the Cardinals can repeat, and in the case of the Cubs, if they can get back to the postseason? 
Yeah, the Cardinals, just their unending supply of power arms gives me a lot of confidence that they'll be able to to handle the pitching side of things this year. You know, I know the offense wasn't great last year and they had outfield questions. Um, I think they would still be my pick, though, just because of the star power they do have and just that ability to seemingly manufacture arms at will. There's so much upper-level talent on this team in terms of AAA and major league-level talent that they're going to have the depth to fill whatever holes that arise. And I think that, again, is very, very key for me in this season. The one thing that you know concerns me a little bit is this offense. Uh, this was a team that finished 19th in the majors and runs scored last year. You do that, and then you subtract Jose Martinez and, most importantly, Marcelo Zuna, two of their biggest boppers. That does concern me a bit, but at the same time, year two for Paul Goldschmidt in St. Louis, you look at Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, young guys who can continue to grow and take steps forward. I think they'll score enough, and we did pick them to win the division. There's a really good rotation here. The bullpen's taken some hits, Jordan Hicks opting out, John Brebbia having Tommy John surgery, but you have Ryan Helsley, you have Andrew Miller, you have Giovanni Gallegos, they brought in Kwong Young Kim and said he's going to at least start the season at closer for them. I think they'll be okay. This is a good team. We did pick to win the division again. The Cubs as well. Again, I go back to, it's really kind of unfortunate. Just you could tell by the end of last year, they just kind of needed a new voice, fresh start. They brought in David Ross to be the manager. I do think that will re-energize this team a little bit. And again, part of issues that afflicted the Cubs last year, just a really oddly poor road record. This was actually a top 10 team, both runs scored and ERA last year. They have talent. I'd give them maybe 40% chance. I, I think it's the same song and dance as usual. Pitching depth is questionable, and they don't have a lot of support on the way. I think the one thing in their favor is some of their young position players. You know, It wouldn't surprise me if we're looking at guys like Ian Happ or Nico Horner in a different light after the season because I think they're legit. Yeah, That's the biggest thing to me. Of all the teams that benefit from the DH coming to the National League, I think the Cubs is the team that benefits the most. It allows them to move Kyle Schwarber to DH and get another of their impact bats in the lineup. Because they had a lot of really good young hitters who did not have avenues for everyday playing time. Ian Happ is the most direct beneficiary. But I think just the addition of the DH greatly improves their team defense and improves their offense even more. I don't know. This is a team that I am looking at as someone that could exceed expectations. It would not surprise me to see the Cubs win the division. Yeah, I think that's about where I'm at. I, I still prefer the Reds and the Cardinals. Yeah. The fourth team in this mix is the Brewers. I feel like every year we look at them on paper and say they have some studs, obviously. I mean, Christian Yelch is one of the best players in baseball. Brandon Woodruff has quietly become one of the better young pitchers in baseball. But it just doesn't seem like they have the talent on paper to match up with the Cubs or the Cardinals. And yet, every year, the last couple of years, they've been in the postseason. Craig Council, for my money, has established himself as one of the best managers in Major League Baseball. And I just feel like you can never count them out. Again, I, I think they did some good things this offseason. Brought in Justin Smoke, Avisel Garcia, Omar Narvaez, Eric Sogard. But they also lost Yasmani Grindel, Mike Moustakis. Starting pitching, they're relying on a lot of guys who we just don't have a great track record on. Josh Lindblom coming back over from Korea. Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns have had ups and downs. Adrian Hauser was good as a swingman, hasn't been a full-time starter yet. Lots depends on Brett Anderson and Eric Lauer getting healthy to more off-season acquisitions. 
again, to me, there's a lot of question marks here, but I almost feel like you give the Brewers the benefit of the doubt just because they keep doing it. Yeah, I agree. And Council mixes and matches better than anybody. And over 60 games, that might be enough. I mean, his managerial savvy might be enough to get them into the playoffs. Um, I think I've heard it speculated somewhere that Council is especially good with expanded September rosters just because he gets all those extra bodies uh, to, to patchwork the middle innings and of relief. Um, he's not going to have access to that this year, obviously, but I do agree. He's a, he's not a standing manager. Of all the last place teams in major league baseball, I actually think the pirates are the one that I would pick to be the quote unquote best of the last place teams. I look at this pirates team and I actually see some tent poles to build around. Obviously trading Starling Marte in the off season was a bit of a gut punch, but you look at this team, you see Kevin Newman, you see Josh Bell, you see Brian Reynolds, you see Joe Musgrove. I think they have some things to work with. And so much of what went wrong for the Pirates last season was not necessarily a lack of talent. Everything just kind of imploded. They had clubhouse fights. Felipe Vasquez got arrested. I think there's talent on this team. And of all the teams that we think are going to finish in last place, this is the one I think has a chance to be the most respectable. Yeah, I agree. They are the best of the worst. Um, I, but yeah, there's just not a lot of depth here, especially, you know, Gregory Polanco's down. I don't know how long he's out, but the outfield is pretty soft without him. They still have to address catcher, which has been kind of a long-standing issue for the organization. Um, but yes, I do agree. They do have some nice young core types of players. Yeah, there's pieces to work with. And when you're a rebuilding team, that's all you can really ask for. Moving on to the NL West. The Dodgers, to me, have a chance to put together a historic type of run. Two years ago, we talked about the 2018 Red Sox being one of the best teams of the last 20 years. That Red Sox team started the season 17-2. and I think this Dodgers team is capable of doing exactly that. You have what is the most talented position player group, not just the National League, but Major League Baseball, and the deepest, deeper than even the Yankees the best pitching staff of any team in the National League, and the fact that they're facing a schedule that's the fifth weakest in all of Major League Baseball in terms of opponent win percentage last year. The stars were aligned here for the Dodgers to do something absolutely crazy and historic. I mean, 1984 was so long ago. I mean, the 1984 Tigers started a season 35-5. and The game is so different. There's more teams. The schedule's different. Teams are going to be more familiar with one another. It's hard for me to ever say someone's going to start 35-5, and but I think the Dodgers have a chance to have this type of historic start where they just bludgeon opponents and look invincible. We're looking at a team that I think will clear 40 wins and has a chance to push for something crazy like 45-15. and This team against this schedule is going to be a juggernaut. Oh yeah, I agree. This the, the Dodgers are so well positioned, and I think you know getting over that postseason hump and winning the World Series. I mean, we'll get to that, I'm sure, but I mean that would just mean so much to the franchise. It kind of validate the um, the great team they had last year that fell a little bit short. But I think everything you said is true. I mean, I think the depth and the the depth, especially on the pitching side, separates them. The Diamondbacks, as we talked about, I think honestly, I would pick them to win a, a lot of other divisions, but. The Dodgers are just a team that is is on a level all their own, and I don't see anyone getting in their way in the division, in the National League as a whole, or, or frankly, all the way to the World Series, which we'll get to in a second. 
Dodgers won Diamondbacks too. Matt, the Padres and Rockies are two teams that finished below 500 last year. They were the bottom two teams in the division. The Rockies, however, were in the postseason as recently as 2017-2018. It does feel like everyone's forgotten about that. And what changed was a couple of their pitchers took a step back last year. They take steps back forward. That's going to make a big difference. And the Padres have long had one of the best farm systems in baseball. They made a lot of offseason moves. They brought in guys like Tommy Pham and Trent Grisham to address their perennial on-base problems. They're getting full seasons now from Garrett Richards and Nelson Lamette to electrifying right-handers. They look much improved. What are the odds in your mind that the Padres or Rockies jump the Diamondbacks into second place? Because, look, no one's touching the Dodgers for first place. I feel very, very confident saying that. But do you think either of these teams have a chance to get to second place and a wild card spot? Oh, absolutely. In the Padres case, I think, I think it's a coin flip for them. I think just when you, you look at how deadly this rotation could be over 60 games, I mean, they, they have a chance to outstuff pretty much anybody, maybe except for the Dodgers. Um, I think, you know, Paddock and Lamette and Richards and Gore, if they end up calling up their top prospect, Mackenzie Gore. And this bullpen is ridiculous with Kirby Yates and Drew Pomeranz, Emilio Pagan. And it's even deeper than that, but those are the highlights. I think this, this is the type of team, now that they've restructured their lineup and made it a little more on-base friendly, they are definitely a wild-card contender for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a good lineup, one through nine on paper. You just have to make sure now that, uh, you know, the guys who come into Petco Park don't regress, which has been a years-long problem. Guys are brought into San Diego and immediately regress at the plate. So seeing if Fam and Grisham can avoid that will uh, go a long, long way toward the Padres finally getting into not, not just playoff contention, but even a winning record, something they haven't done since 2010. I will say the Rockies are a team that it's become very popular to bash them. By the same token, you just take a step back, cut through all that, there's a really good lineup in here that's deep one through nine, has young players, has veterans. I still think this is probably the best left side of the infield in the National League. The pitching staff, again, John Gray has shown some good things. Herman Marquez is one of the most underrated pitchers in Major League Baseball. You know, if Kyle Freeland and Antonio Senzatella can reverse last year's declines, even just a, a little bit, this team's going to look a lot better than I think a lot of people think it will. The bullpen's still a mess. There's still some pitching depth issues. They really need Jeff Hoffman and Peter Lambert to be better than they've been. But I don't think this team is as bad as everyone else thinks. I just, again, it's just going to ride on some of those young pitchers who had hiccups reversing them. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. I mean, Marquez and Gray you know, d- definitely do give them a, c- a couple of, of big arms in the front of the rotation. Yeah, and then the Giants. Um, I, I challenge you to say something nice about the Giants. I'm glad to see guys like Mike Yastrzemski and Alex Dickerson get chances and take advantage of them. <laughs> no, I mean, look, the Giants are where they are. This is a team that is fully in rebuild mode. Again, they actually did okay last year, but obviously losing Madison Bumgarner in free agency, Buster Posey opting out, Bruce Bochy retiring. I mean, those are three franchise icons that are not easily replaced. You're banking on maybe some of the veterans staying healthy and showing they still have something in the tank. And then immediately Evan Longoria and Brandon Belt open the year on the injured list. There's just not a lot here. I mean, again, Johnny Cueto, if he's back healthy, that'll help. Jeff Samarja was quietly decent last year. Kevin Gossman and Drew Smiley have certainly had their moments in their careers. It's just this is a a really, really, really bad lineup. And this is a team that's just 
they're just waiting. They're waiting for the, the prospects to come up. They're going to hold them down. It, it's it's going to be a rough year. And again, like I've said to Giants fans for a couple years now, just look at the three pennants out on uh, out at Oracle Park and throw in the championship DVDs and enjoy that because it was worth it as much as, you know, this is now painful. As I've said many, many times before, if you told any Giants fan, we'll give you three World Series in five years, but after that, it's going to be pretty lean for six, seven, or eight. They all would have taken it. Yeah, what strikes me about this team is I actually like the speculations they've made in the rotation. I think um, Kevin Gosman, Drew Smiley, and even Tyler Anderson, I think those are all um, worthwhile upside plays. Like If they pitch well, contenders will be interested in those guys for sure, I mean, at the very least. The other thing that strikes me about this team is who from this roster is going to be on the team in three or four years when they're good? I'm not convinced there's anybody on this, on this group right now who's going to be on a, a next good Giants team. And that's where you look at guys like Mauricio Dubon, Steven Duggar, Jalen Davis, trying to prove that they should be a part of the Giants' future. They're going to have a lot of young players trying to prove they belong. I mean, truthfully, the, the one guy on this roster that I say, yes, he will be on this Giants team when they're competitive again, is Reyes Maranta. That's a really good reliever, uh, but he's down after having shoulder surgery at the end of the year last year. So uh, you're right. There are not a lot of keepers here, but, but that's what seasons like this are for. Four guys like Dubon, like Duggar, like Davis. You know, even you know, a guy like Sean Anderson, who, who has shown some things uh, in the past. Connor Menez is still in his mid-20s. Some of these young pitchers, some of these young position players show what they can do and show they belong and show they deserve to have a spot in three or four years. But you're right. There's no one you look at right now and say, okay, this is a guy you keep, you build around, and then the rest of the talent comes up and supplements them. This is a team at the very bottom of a rebuild. You know, you're right. Again, there are some good pitchers here. But as soon as they perform, they're going to get traded at the deadline. Yeah. Yeah. We shall see. So with that, Matt, who's your pick to win the National League? Yeah. It's boring, just like the AL. I think the Dodgers have the most talent. Uh, The schedule lines up very well for them. And I think they have some unfinished business that they want to take care of. Agreed 100%. To me, it's the Dodgers in a landslide to win the National League. And I do think they will win the World Series. Again, to me, it's either Dodgers-Yankees or Dodgers-Rays. And with that, we will see how wrong we are and how everything (laughs) we said looks completely dumb in two, three months' time just because, again, baseball is always unpredictable and it's going to be more unpredictable than ever in a 60-game season. Nonetheless, it was good to be back talking baseball. It was fun to uh, talk about things that we expect to happen on the field. And we look forward to opening day, just as I'm sure all our fans and listeners do out there. Matt, thank you so much for joining us and providing your insight. We appreciate you as always. Thanks, Kyle. It was fun. All right, everyone. That'll do it for another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. and Happy opening day, everybody. Mm-hmm.